sitting in the passenger seat helping our eldest get her driving hours up while she was going for her driver's license, I, I witnessed one of the first times that she experienced a familiar reaction, you and I might know, it was when a person in front of her was driving and they were doing something erratically, all right? We got cut off. She reacted appropriately with surprise, a bit of judgment, totally understandable. I do it all the time. Way more benign than when I was learning to drive. I was very, very, very verbal behind the wheel. Always upset, always angry at other people on the road. Everyone was in my way. No one else could drive well. Whoever designed this roundabout is a fucking idiot. I'd carry that resentment with me like a, a backpack full of used cat litter. It wasn't good. Now, after a few years of this, I was driving with a mate in the passenger seat. He was a bit older than me. He saw me do this. He said something. He tells me something that really sticks to me. It really sticks with me. And it's something that I said to G that day that, that we were cut off. He said, you know, you never know what kind of day someone else is having. Oh, right. They could be racing to the hospital to meet their partner. And one of their kids is just poleaxed themselves in the playground equipment. You know, they, they might have left the iron on. Their new lover has said, come on over, come on over, baby, if their new lover was Christina Aguilera. Now, sometimes that behavior is very observable. Sometimes it's kept under wraps. My guest today is an open book when it comes to the kind of day that he's having. Rich Roll is one of the world's most renowned ultra-endurance athletes. He's been called, among other things, the fittest vegan on the planet. He's a best-selling author. He's a podcast god. He's a keynote speaker. He's an entrepreneur. Yet, even with all the public-facing accolades, Rich was struggling. Turning his back on the life that he formerly led as a high-profile entertainment lawyer, Rich pushed hard into making a space for himself and a name for himself in the world of not only endurance athletes, but as an advocate for health, for well-being, for a plant-based lifestyle. And you are about to hear that even when things were at their most public at home, there were struggles that were beyond tough to overcome. But day by day, he did it, he continues to do it. Rich is an oracle of wisdom, and I'm, I'm grateful to call him a mate. It's taken a long time for me to get him on this show, a really long time, and I'm bloody grateful that we waited, because this is one of the greatest conversations that I've had in over 10 years of doing this podcast. I can't wait for you to hear it. But first, I like to pay the people that work for me, because I like them, and they are deserving of money. So I'm going to play some ads, and we'll be right back. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. You're in a, a bit of a crisis situation, and you're just looking at the day through blinders. What can I control? It's like, okay, I can like do my training so I can be mentally and physically fit. I can take care of that. That doesn't cost any money. I can make sure that I pick up the kids from school on time. I got gas in the tank. I can send out these emails. I can reply to these emails. I can create a piece of content. Like it's all little things. Like what do, what can I do as I'm waiting for opportunities to arise to put myself in a position to reap the benefits of those? And you have to have this Jedi mindset. Like, what would a Jedi? Jedis aren't, they're not freaking out. Like, oh my God, what's happening? No, they show up and they're just like composed. They're neutral. Mm. How can you navigate this situation with grace and neutrality? That is podcaster, author, and ultra endurance legend, Rich Roll. This is Osher Ginsburg, Better Than Yesterday. G'day, this is Better Than Yesterday. We've been having conversations to make your day-to-day better than yesterday since 2013. Mondays and Wednesdays and Fridays, we're here. Mondays and Wednesdays with the guests. Fridays here with you. I'm Osha Ginsberg. I'm a podcaster. I'm a TV host. I'm an author. I'm a dad. I'm a stepdad. I'm someone who cleans up the dog poo that that dog out the window is doing right now. Thanks. Thanks, Frank. I appreciate that, buddy. Uh, and I'm I'm really grateful to be a part of your day today. Another thing about me is that from 2005 to 2015, I lived in Los Angeles, in California. I'm in Sydney right now. While I was in Los Angeles, I met the remarkable human being who is Rich Roll. I was a long way from home, and I was yearning for something that felt like family. And Rich, along with his wife Julie and their kids, They were kind enough to let me into their lives, welcome me into their home. Their friendship, their support, that stuff that Rich offered me when I was really at my lowest is a huge reason why I am still here. Watching Rich build his podcast empire into the machine that it is absolutely inspired me to start my own show. 
it inspires me to push myself even further as he invents new ways to be a broadcaster in these ever-shifting times in media. It's hard to describe what rich role means to me, but I think you're about to hear it in my voice. Now, if you're completely unaware of who Rich Roll is, allow me to bring you up to speed. It's fine. It's everybody's first time doing something. Rich Roll was a star of the Stanford University swim team. Uh, eventually, however, alcohol and addiction played havoc with his life and his career. It was a path that led him to jails, to institutions, ultimately at the age of 31 into rehab. Rich got sober, he got his career back on track. However, on the eve of his 40th birthday, Rich found himself 20 kilos overweight, breathless, and doubled over in pain at the top of a small flight of stairs. His level of fitness, a very long way from his days as a competitive swimmer. What happens next is straight out of a rocky montage. He went vegan. He got back in the pool, he started running regularly. And in less than two years, Rich was accepted into the invite-only endurance epic Ultraman. Ultraman is a double distance Hawaiian Ironman, 515 kilometers of running, swimming, and cycling completed over three days, where he not only finished in the top 10, but recorded the second fastest swim split out of the contest. Not bad for a guy who didn't own a bicycle when he started training. It was the first time, but not the last time he'd compete in Ultraman. His success there led him to be named one of the 25 fittest men on the planet. Over a decade later, he was named the fittest vegan alive right after competing in the extraordinary Swedish swim run race, Otolo, 75 kilometers, swimming between and then running across a total of 26 islands, tethered to his teammate, all in the brisk September waters of the Stockholm archipelago. Physical feats aside, Rich is a beacon of inspiration on so many levels. For me, his sobriety journey is one that I use as a catalyst to push myself to do better, to be better, to get better every day in this business of being in recovery. His family's remarkable. He's married, he and Julie raise four kids together and everything that comes with blending families. That is something that they navigate with grace and with poise. He's also an incredible innovator. Behind the scenes, Rich is literally reinventing what it means to be a broadcaster in this modern world. And he's brave. When he changed careers, he deliberately chose to not pursue his law career, even though it offered a lifeline of funds when times were tight, because that would have taken him too far off the path that he was forging for himself. Rich is curious. His podcast is game-changing. He's a bloody great human being. Now, I'm so stoked that you get a chance to hear us speak like this today. I'm eternally grateful for having Rich in my life and I'm stoked that he made time to come and see us while he was out here for work. I'm really happy that you get a chance to enjoy this. But if you are watching this, I do have to apologize. There was quite the clusterfuck with my cameras on the day that Rich came around and my footage, some of my footage is quite blurry, quite ordinary, but Rich looks great. So don't you worry about that part. So if you can deal with my fuzzy face, I think you really dig this. Enjoy listening to what happened when Rich Roll came and sat with me just a couple of weeks ago. 
I haven't done a face-to-face in so long. Man. Really? Yeah. But this is your thing. It used to be. Yeah. Like, this is all I ever did. In fact, I remember refusing to do stuff that wasn't face-to-face. Uh-huh. Um, and then pandemic and TV production shut down. And I was like, yeah. well, are we even going to be able to do TV again? You know? Right. And so <laughs> everything was up in the air. Yeah. And so, well, I know this is an income stream that I can kind of count on. So it's hard to keep track of all the different things that you're, you have so many things <laughs> going on. Like, I, you know, the with, and now with the new, like, news show, yeah. live event thing, and the television yeah. shows, and this podcast, and, um, and this podcast seems to continue to like morph and change. And I'm like, does he have one podcast or does he have multiple <laughs> with different names? And then I'm like, I can't, I don't even know. Uh, yeah. I don't know how to put this to you, mate. Like, I learned a lot in my 10 years in Los Angeles. I learned a lot. And um, two of the most powerful things I learned was off my old manager. He's passed away now. But he's the guy, as an entertainment lawyer, you would, for previous life, you're an entertainment mm-hmm. lawyer. You'd remember the name John Ferreter. I do know yeah, that. He was the packaging god at WME. Okay. Right? He told me two things. He goes, um, one, only you know how hard you've worked to make your dreams come true. And I was like, fuck, that's a good one. Because, yeah, I might not get a job or I you know, mm-hmm. might not get a win a thing or whatever. And I can say to people, oh, I didn't get the bit. Oh, I didn't win the thing. They go, ah, oh, you tried. But I'm the one that has to lie in bed at night and go, yeah, I fucked around on my phone a lot instead of mm-hmm. working on that, didn't I? And I'm, I have to live with that. And I'm the worst person, you know. And the other one he said is like, I don't even care. Unless you host the six o'clock news, one day your show is going to get cancelled and you better be ready for that day. Mm. And I was not. And I ended up with no work and I ended up with nothing. And I was like, this is 2012. We were writing rice right. together. And... From that moment on, it's it's just like, okay, then how do I kind of percolate these things and see what's getting a bite? Okay, that's getting good. That's good. This is not so much, all right, but I'm glad I put that out there. Back away. Let's put something else in that spot. Mm-hmm. And that was also a lot of the stuff I learned when I was in Amsterdam was, you know, there's like the 60, 40, 20, 10. So 60% of your time is you, you, you're you working on the thing that's bringing the bread in. 40% is the thing like next year. 20 is three years. 10 is... Mm-hmm. five years, but always putting that in, not letting that little, those projects of five years from now dissipating. But you're also in an industry where uh, you have so little control, it, it, <laughs> you know, on some level, because it's not necessarily a meritocracy. It doesn't yeah. matter how much you work. Your job is to be prepared for the lightning bolt moments yeah. uh, so that you can kind of leverage luck or, um, you know, keep showing up so that you're improving your chances of, of being in a situation where something can happen. But yeah. there's a stripping of agency that can erode your soul. Uh, <laughs> you know, so for me, you have that like percentage rule, but it's really like what are the controllables and what what's out of your control? Well, this is really, you know, it's an, ex- an unbelievable time to be in my industry. And it's, oh, it's unbelievable, or, oh, it's unbelievable. It depends on which way you're looking at it. Like if you're the old business model of, I took an insurance company, a motor car company, and a bank to lunch once, they signed off on the year's ad budget, we're done. Mm-hmm. Then it's, oh, it's unbelievable. But if you're like, all right, I sell this shit six weeks at a time, it's unbelievable, you know? And it's moving to that different uh, business model as as the market fractures and streaming becomes, you know, what it's going to be. and you know, and ultimately, 
it it really is great content is the thing that is going to sure. make, make the difference. And and to me, like what's happening in this little room in your basement is yeah. the thing that you have agency over and control over and that you own. So when I look at your career, I see somebody who has diversified how your talent is is sort of exploited and monetized <laughs> with one foot in an old paradigm industry yeah. that you could say is sort of dying, right? Like network television, hosting these big shows that get massive audiences that obviously make you a household name in Australia, which is very good for business, but you have no control over that and no, no ownership over that. No. But that gives you a profile that allows you to build this thing that we're doing here yeah. and give you, you know, a leg up on most people because mm -hmm. we're we're both in a very privileged position that we've kind of been doing this thing for a long time. Can you imagine mm -hmm. starting a podcast now? It doesn't <laughs> matter who you are. It doesn't matter how much rate, you know, name recognition. Yeah. You, you could be a huge celebrity. Yeah. Like trying to develop an audience in the podcast space mm -hmm. now is extreme. Like if you're launching a show, extremely, extremely difficult. Um, so uh, doubling down on this thing that, that you own, that you can control, that you have agency over, mm -hmm is more important, like that would be my counsel to you. Like, oh, not that you don't know that and that you're not doing that, you know, <laughs> you can't count on the other stuff, but yeah. you know, I think what you're doing here and you know, with the live events and, and you know, the, the conversations that you're having that are very similar, you know, in many ways yeah. to the ones that I'm having, like that's the shit, man. You know? It really, it really is. And it's, it, even if this doesn't pay, having control- The thing the is it should. It, it, should, should. it should be paying you more than any of the other stuff. It should, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and we'll talk about that off yeah. air. But not everyone listening has their is going to start a podcast. Not everyone listening is you know a nearly or fifty something uh, straight white guy. Yet what you're talking about is controlling the controllables, and I am doing something every week, a number of times a week, that keeps my skill set sharp. That keeps my uh, gives me a sense of ah, oh, I'm saying this is getting me closer to the kind of job or the kind of work mm -hmm. that I want, and it's keeping me in the direction of where I want to go. Now that might be you cooking, that might be the way you're managing your household budget, that might be whatever. But having control over something every day or every week does give me a sense. Like I'm not I'm not just like at the tail of the hydra being flanked mm -hmm. around by the you know waves of the market, mm -hmm. uh, you know. Yeah, which, which yeah, does yeah, give yeah. Me, you know. Waiting for the phone to ring. Fuck that. And man. I think, you know, to your point of, of you know, kind of what's relatable to anybody who's listening to this, yeah. uh, we both kind of had our dark moments of the soul. <laughs> your audience is very familiar with the, you know, mental health journey yeah. um, that you weathered and the sobriety journey and all of that. And I've, I have, of course, have my version of that. Um, but when we were both kind of reckoning with how to crawl out of that and what to do next, um, we both pivoted to certain things in the same way. We both yeah. like doubled down on sobriety yep. and meetings and all of that. Um, and we both ended up spending a lot of time on our bikes. Mm -hmm. And there's something about that that I think is very interesting. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what the right next move for myself is. I'm confused about the world. Why is this happening? All of that kind of stuff. There's something about just being alone with yourself with an elevated heart rate for hours and hours and hours every <laughs> single day. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, while you're doing it, you're not you're not exactly answering those questions, but that process uh, 
puts distance between you and whatever you're grappling with or contending with in a way that allows, you know, kind of you to begin to figure out how to put the pieces together or figure out at least like what the next right step is going to be, you know, ever that will ever so slightly kind of alter your trajectory and maybe put you on a more kind of authentic path. Just even the, the, the research around it, I'm not so familiar with it, but there is research around just moving forward through space just has a fundamental effect on our ability mm-hmm. to process complicated emotions and things like this. I, I discovered I was early on my first, the first time I dropped a bunch of weight as an adult, I was 19. I just went on walks. I was unemployed. I was just putting on heaps of weight, just eating shit food. I just started walking. Mm-hmm. And I think the first day I walked 800 meters and it was like, I, I fucking had to lay down. I was that right. unfit, uh-huh. you know, but the next day I just walked a little bit more. And I started to discover that I started to feel better uh, in my head um, as I walked a bit more. And, you know, that's replicated so many times through my life. And I discovered at one point when I could still run, there was no problem that I took with me on a run that I didn't come back with a solution for. Right. Like nearly the moment that I put the key in the door going, I've got to get, oh, that's what I'll do about that. Oh, Mm -hmm. Oh, all it took was 10Ks or all it took was 5Ks or four. doesn't matter. Uh, same with a bike. There really is, is, there's a lot to be said for, okay, here's all the raw material that I need. Perseverating on it's not going to help. I'm going to use that energy to just put one foot in front of the other for a while or one hand in front of the other if you're swimming or whatever. And then somewhere between sets or somewhere as you turn a corner or somewhere as you jump out of the way of a car or whatever, huh, <laughs> just, just yeah. pops in. Yeah, well, a lot of that has to do with allowing your mind to quiet and making space for a different part of your brain to become activated that is uh, very counterintuitive because you want to like push and push and push until you solve it. Mm. You can't solve it by sitting at home, like, you know, ruminating and and just like running this tape, right? Like you got to like, you need a pattern interrupt. um, And that space allows for something new to happen. Like, yeah, yeah, you come back from a run or a ride, suddenly that the stress that you feel around whatever predicament you're in is reduced and you have some kind of like, so you're like, why didn't I think of that before, right? Like it ha- it's happened so many times. But Rich, you don't understand. Like I'm yeah. fucking, like, uh, I, got, I don't even have a pair of running shoes. You. I fucking, yeah. you know, I'm overweight. I got kids, I got yeah. fucking enough. I got no time for this shit. You would say that, you got free time. Uh, of course, yeah, yeah, I get all that. It's like, do what you can, man. That's you it. Know? And, and that's what I would say. I had to trick myself into that first 800 meter walk. I was so unemployed and so depressed and so just sitting there watching. This is how long ago it was because there's no internet. So I'm just watching Sally, Jesse, Raphael. I've got triple G boobs and I don't know, you know, it's like that was a kind of like mm-hmm. I'm just sitting there in the morning getting my wheat bicks watching that. Going, what the fuck am I doing? I should really get off my fat ass. I had to trick myself and I tricked myself go, I'm just going to check the mail because at that point in my life, the mailman coming was the most exciting thing that could happen in the day. <laughs> All right. Because there's fucking nothing happening. And so I went to go check the mail, but instead of walking down to the mailbox, which is the right-hand side of our driveway, I walked to the left and there was a little block, it's 800 meters. So I walked to the left and 800 meters later, I picked up the mail and I went, see, I just went and checked the mail. And was that, that when you were living in Venice? Or no, when, I was in Brisbane. Oh, was oh, this ago. is way no, back. No, no, You're talking way, way back. Way, back. way, way, way yeah. back. That was oh, kind gosh, of when yeah. I first kind of unlocked how mm-hmm. moving my body and being physical from a place of extraordinary lack of fitness. I haven't been that unfit since, I don't think. Um, yeah, but I had to trick myself into it. And it was only 10 minutes. 
Mm. But it made a world of difference. Mm-hmm. But and then it's just like a little bit every day, every day. But speak, speaking of like processing difficult things, luckily I got a chance to ride bikes with you a number of times. And I think the important thing that we did we did kind of not talk about is that where we rode our bicycles, there was a lot of nature around. And that helped a lot. Mm-hmm. Being in the mountains, being in the canyons, you know, riding past horses and things like that, which is lakes, even though they were man-made lakes. It was nice. I remember going for a ride with you and we were going up a hill somewhere and you were very patiently waiting for me as I complained that my gears were that. going along. Fuck, dude. <laughs> she was so <laughs> fucking shit. And um, what's going on, man? He goes, ah, oh, yeah. They're supposed to be coming to repossess my car today. <laughs> you remember that day? I do, yeah. But like trigger, like talk more. It was- Like I'm trying to- It I, was I have a like vague recollection early. You were still recording the podcast in your garage. Uh-huh. So early, early on. Yeah. Um. You were trying to piece some stuff together. Right. You were honestly saying to me, and, and I've heard you talk about this, and I'm happy to cut it mm-hmm. out if you don't want to, mate. But no, I have heard you refer, I'm an open book on you've this, referred to this time. Yeah. You've referred to this time in your life on your show a number of times. Um, we actually didn't know where the next mortgage payment was going to come from. Oh, uh, we hadn't been paying our mortgage at yeah. all at that point. There That's was, right. There was no next. Uh, yeah, like, yeah. The house was, it was a ticking clock before they came for the house. Yeah. Right. That day they were coming for my car. That's right. Uh, but the the house repossession was very much on the horizon. And you would, and this you, is after Finding Ultra came out. This is after starting the podcast. This is, you know, yeah. people are like, oh, the pot, you know, like my life is an embarrassment of riches right now. Like it's just, it's absurd. You know, I can't, I just can't even believe that I get to live the life that I'm living right now. But I think the thing that gets missed is, is like how unbelievably um, challenging it was for not, six months, not a year. It went on for like almost seven years of just not knowing if I could even, you know, keep the lights on at all and just waiting for the house to get taken away. It's not just you. We're talking about little kids. We're talking kids at primary school. Yeah, with children and being, you know, the head of the household and with a law degree that I could easily (laughs) leverage to go back and work you know, at some firm and get, you know, six figures. Just over here, Rich. Come on. Come um, on, mate. Pick up. Put the shirt back on. Put the shirt back on. <laughs> that it's was, a tailored that was, shirt. Yeah. It's got That, that wolf the on the shoulder every, you know, every morning and every night and every day. And it was Julie who's like, no fucking way. Like, we've yeah. come too far. Like, you're yeah. seeing this thing through. Like, yeah. this, you, this is your, she calls it your divine moment. Like, are you going to demonstrate the courage and the faith and the conviction mm-hmm. of what you want to manifest or are you going to you know pivot and 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 like scurry back to what feels safe and secure <sighs> and honestly you know i i was like i'm scurrying you know like this yeah. is this is too painful this is ridiculous yeah this is you know irresponsible and certainly uh you know there were plenty of friends and colleagues and family members who we're quick to, you know, remind us of all of that. Like you find out who your friends are. Like you're, you know, people would say to Julie, like, "What is your husband doing?" Like, you know, you don't have to be in this. And yeah, um, and and certainly other people, you know, telling me like, "Hey, man, like, are you okay? Like, what's happening here? Like, what exactly is your plan?" Yeah. Um, and is that they were they they wrong. You know, <laughs> yeah. It's not like it's not like you know, fuck you. It's like, hey, man, I need to really think about this. Like. Yeah. So, yeah, like having cars repossessed. I mean, it got, I've told this story before, but it got so bad that we didn't have like the 80 bucks to um, prevent the garbage collector from taking our bins away. So we didn't even have trash bins and we would have to 
take our garbage. We had a, we, our cars have been repossessed, but we did have this like ancient, uh, uh, minivan that had like, I don't know, 250,000 miles on it. And we would, we would put our garbage in the back of that and drive around and find like those dumpsters that just are by construction sites or behind grocery stores to like dump our gar, you know, it was like, that's gnarly, especially and, and, when the two little boys are in the back seat, and yeah. this is this is what they're seeing. This is what yeah. you're modeling for them. And and this is I'm a published author. I've got a podcast. I'm all over fucking outside magazine. <laughs> yes, I'm like, like here's a, here's a picture from me uh, running like a gazelle across the Santa Monica mountain. Right. The the yeah the dissonance between yeah. those two things, like how people were perceiving me in the world and the actual reality of mm. like how we were trying to survive day to day. Yeah. And and heightened by the fact that. I live in a really nice house. Like mm. you've been to my house. Like beautiful it's, place. It's like we were the poorest rich people. Like it's like <laughs> we we're like squatting in a house that we didn't deserve to to live in that we yeah. couldn't pay for that wow. was falling apart because we couldn't. You know, we could barely just have rice and beans at the time. Yeah. And we were tested. You know, all the way to the max. And it's that thing where it's like, hey man, I know. Like I know. I know. I'm on the path I'm supposed to be on. Like. You know, not to get too biblical about the no, whole thing, okay. or, but it's like, hey, you like show me a sign, like anything, and yeah. like any opportunity, like let me do that, let me exploit that. Any speaking, you know, you'll pay me five hundred dollars, like I'm there. How do I get there? Like, yeah, and just slowly, slowly over time, like stringing those together, uh, and then you know, a couple miracles occurring, including like at the very last minute, within forty eight hours of our house. Uh, about to be taken away, getting, you know, getting a refi so that we could stay in, like, and I then just that. brick by brick, like, piecing yeah. it together. I mean, I did the podcast for years without monetizing it. It wasn't, yeah. it was early podcasting days, so no. it was easy to kind of be at the top of the charts, but actually the audience wasn't that big. No. Right. And the whole thing about ads and all of that wasn't even yeah. really, like, a thing yet, you no. know, so, yeah, anyway. I, I, yeah, I, I, I lost money on this. I think mm. it took me six years to make any money on this. I started spending money on it about three years in, mm. so I was losing money on it the whole time. Uh, but without it, I wouldn't have a book. I wouldn't have a live show. I wouldn't have, like, it's the thing that got me yeah. more jobs than anything else. But it's fine to get up and say, here I am. Here's my acceptance. I'm holding my fucking Golden Globe or my Logie or whatever going, and, you know, thank you to this and thank you to that and blah, 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 blah. Love you. And you walk away. Uh -huh. But that's not it. It's the how do you get up? on, you know, October the 6th of year four of this, not knowing when it's going to end, how do you get through that day? Like what's the pathway when you're faced with that kind of, you you say you're looking for messages that I'm on the right path. Mm -hmm. The screaming messages are you're not. Right. You know? <laughs> how do you get through that day? How do you align your, your partner, your kids, the people around you? And how do you get through the questions you're asking yourself? Yeah, I mean, I think on some level, you're in a, a bit of a crisis situation and you're just looking at the day through blinders. And again, it's back to what can I control? It's like, okay, I can like do my training so I can be mentally and physically fit. I can take care of that. That doesn't cost any money. I can make sure that I pick up the kids from school on time. I got gas in the tank. I can send out these emails. I can reply to these emails. I can create a piece of content. Like it's all little things. Like what do, what can I do as I'm waiting for opportunities to arise to put myself in a position to reap the benefits of those? And it's really about like, it's almost like a, a survival thing. Like just, okay, 
maintain your neutrality, which is key. You can't be like reactive to everything or yeah. be in a panic state. And Julie would always say like, you have to have this Jedi mindset. Like what would a Jedi, Jedis aren't, they're not freaking out. Like, oh my God, what's happening? No, they show up and they're just like composed. They're neutral. Mm. How can you navigate this situation with grace and neutrality? And to your point, your story about having our car repossessed, um, I remember the e that evening when the guy showed up to take the, I had like this groovy orange Land Rover. It wasn't anything fancy, but like, I love that car. And the guy comes in and Julie comes out and greets him. Hey, what's your name? For, and so he's immediately like, he's just used to people yelling at him. Hey, do you want some tea? Come on in, you know, take a seat. Let me, uh, let me make you, uh, you're here to take the car, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. Like just, it's all good, man. Here's the keys. You know, do you have kids? What's your life like? Like, you know, like nobody treats that guy with any kind of dignity or respect. Yeah. He took the car. It's not like he didn't take the car. Yeah. But like, that's what a Jedi would do. It's like, I can't, I can't, I'm not going to, by being angry and resentful and frustrated and resisting, the suffering comes in the resistance. So how can you remove the resistance and comport yourself with that level of dignity, grace, and neutrality? That is what it's like to be a Jedi in those situations and to really understand. And Julie would have to remind me of this all the time. Like, this is just shit. These are, you know, this is just, it's material stuff. Like, I think what we weathered and went through would have fractured most marriages, but it actually brought us together. There was a Christmas morning where we had like no money and we couldn't buy gifts. So we went to like Walmart or Target and bought a bunch of white t-shirts and like white sneakers and some paints. Like that's what we could afford. And so together we all like, you know, made our own t-shirts for each other and stuff like that. And Trapper made a little uh, video um, at the time that was really funny that he would be embarrassed if it was on YouTube now, but I watch it all the time, you know, and it, it ended up being like maybe the most meaningful like Christmas morning. Like how can you create something good out of, you know, this type of situation and understand, like, look at it like a game. Like, this is a game, you know. They want you to be reactive. They want you to crumble. They're like, oh, they took the car. The baller move is to not care, right? <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? And like, after a bunch of those, you know, you start to develop a little bit of a, um, you know, a strength around it, I guess. But I, but I think, and so... Yeah, and it went on way longer than I would have yeah. thought. Um, but then, you know, things started to slow. You know, it's like, yeah. so we've crawled out of it, and I'm, that's many years in the past now. But the challenge for me more recently has been to really realize that for for a long time, I was in this protracted state of, like, post-traumatic stress over the whole thing. Right, because yeah. I was in, it was like such a crisis yeah. mentality for yeah. a long time. So once we achieved some some financial stability, I was still like a maniac about like like trying to build a podcast and like bring money in and like make it like a thing because I was so panicked of being of of like re returning back yeah. to that place like because it was so traumatic for me and, you know? and, and so like letting go of, like I can I can enjoy my life now yeah. like I don't. Like, it's good, and, like, yeah, you work hard, and that's fine, but, like, you need to have a healthier 
relationship with your career. I think and you like, might have answered the question yeah. you asked me about why I've got so yeah. much shit going on, Rich. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a part of it. That's definitely a part of it for me. But honestly, on, watching the two of you navigate that, and I consider myself very fortunate to to not only know you but also know Julie and, and just have a relationship modelled, you know, to understand that that's what marriage can be like. If Julie hadn't been there and you were going purely on the skill set that you had pre- prior to that, how do you think things would have ended up? Oh, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't be doing any of this stuff. I would yeah. have immediately pivoted 180 and and you know run back to the you know protective enclave of the law and like live the rest of my miserable days. <laughs> you know, like, not. I mean, none of it. And so I've got it's a, a Porsche. <laughs> it's yeah. It's it's an all right outing. I would not have had the, <laughs> my own. You know, left to my own devices. Yeah, it would not have happened. Uh, I I didn't have the conviction or the fortitude. It was really her strength that allowed all of this to blossom, which which creates a bit of a predicament because sometimes people misconstrue our relationship and they're like, oh, the woman behind the man, like she's so amazing. She's yeah. just like, that's the worst thing you could say. Yeah. Like it is tricky because like I have a, much more of a public profile, but she's really the shit in the whole thing. You know what I mean? She's not the woman behind the man. Like she's out in front of me on almost everything. Yeah. yeah. So and it's not, it's not an uncommon uh, thing that happens sometimes uh, with people who are like yourself or myself. Uh, Eleanor Roosevelt is probably the greatest example around the fucking country. <laughs> well, no, no, no. He's a bit sick today. He can't see you. Let me take some stuff in there for you. No worries. <laughs> Shut the door. Sort it out. This is what he said. He didn't. Right. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's, it happens. And, uh, you know, Julie is an ex- extraordinary person. But to, to talk about that sort of thing, I feel is, is kind of important. I mean, it's not... It's not like you at any point did I see you or Julie or the kids complain about it. And that is unbelievable that you were able to, I'm sure resentment popped up and I'm sure you, you know, tried to, you know, did your best to let it go because, you know, you're not, you're not superhumans. It's going to show up and downregulating is a yeah. part of that, you know. But to not let it happen to you is an enormous thing. Yeah, it's the the idea that it's happening for you and not yeah. to you. And listen, I'm not I'm not saying that I handled that, you know, <laughs> with total grace, you know. It was it was it was really rough and Oh yeah, you know, people like don't ever hear your angry voice. Like, I've oh, heard your angry voice. Yeah, yeah. You've got a good angry voice. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's easy to look back in the rearview mirror and like kind of lionize and romanticize like, yeah. oh, this is what we did or whatever. Like, it was fucking hard, man. And, you know, I'm, we fought and we were confronted with things that, you know, made us ultimately stronger, but not necessarily in the day to day. Yeah. And there were plenty of times where, you know, I had nothing going on and didn't know what to do. And I would go out and do like a six hour bike ride. And I'm like, I am mentally ill. Like, why, what am I doing? Like, why would you, like, go solve your fucking problem. Call yeah. somebody up, get an interview, do, you know, yeah. be practical. You know, there was no indication that anything was ever going to change. Mm. So that just seemed like an insane thing to do. Um, 
it's odd how in retrospect you look back and everything lines up and you can kind of craft this tidy narrative around it where it all makes sense and oh yes you're the protagonist in this hero's journey Mate, i have yeah, just oh i God. have listened there's a <laughs> sam harris making sense of free will episode that i've listened to twice now and i'm barely starting to scratch the surface of it mm. but what you've just described is like you had no ch- you actually had no choice in the matter that's just what you know, that's just how it happened. There's a long right. story. But my Let's ego, like, so I, you know, I'm like very familiar with Sam's take on free will and, yeah. and the the kind of non-dualistic nature of consciousness, et cetera. Um, but my ego will take that and say, it's it's destiny. You know, it's <laughs> yeah. like you had no, you were meant for this. And yes. no matter what you did, this is what, what was going to yeah. happen. You know, yeah. I, I don't think that that's a very healthy No, way. nor do like, I. But there's a, and you would have, you've done that many interviews on your show. And as I've, I think you're probably, we're coming up on 500 um, here. The amount of times that it's been told to me, and it's a, 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 rec, a reflection of what happened to me, the amount of times that the dream career or the, you know, the gold medal or whatever it is, the big achievement that is otherwise, you know, somehow observed in our community as this is a thing, you've done a thing. Mm-hmm. The amount of times that it has been, I didn't wait for it. I just did shit every day that put me in the path of it. And eventually the comet showed up. Mm-hmm. But I, it was hard to stay in the way. It was hard to stay out there. But that's what happened. Like, but that, that's the way it's rigged. You're not allowed to see where it's meant to go. And I think that's what creates the paralysis in a lot of people. Like, I have a dream or this thing that I'm working towards. Yeah. Um, but... You know, I need to know how it's going to play out, or I don't necessarily need to know the ultimate destination, but like I kind of need to know what it's going to look like maybe, you know, in six months from now. Mm -hmm. And when you can't see that or that becomes uh, too precarious or obscured, then you're like, well, I'm not going to move because I don't. And it's like, no, that's it's, it's it, this is the way that it is, man. It's like the universe has it rigged. Like you're not meant to know. What you're meant to do is trust and have faith and put the work in. And each little step that you take forward, uh, you'll get a, you'll get just enough of an indication to keep you in the game, and that's it. And 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 it's really on you to have that Jedi disposition yeah. to keep going when. You're not necessarily seeing evidence that it's going to play out the way that you would like. And and the, and the, the other thing is, you you have to you have to in, enjoy it, just completely detached from consequences. Yeah, You've got to enjoy it, detached from consequences. And that was the thing with the podcast too. Like even though I was doing it for free, it was very nourishing. You know, it was like I got to sit down with cool people, yeah. learn from them. I got to share it, not with a big audience, but with people who were actually extracting value from it. And so yeah. that made me feel good and and gave me a sense of 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 the work that I was doing to have some kind of meaning and it was growing so I was like I think this is you know this is worthy of my time even though it it doesn't necessarily make financial sense. Yeah. There was a sense of excitement around this emerging form of media yeah. like and and I not that I could have imagined that it would become this thing like where so many people listen to podcasts now but yeah. there was a there was a feeling of possibility around what mm. it could be that yeah. was enough to kind of keep me invested in it. It's even if you're and I'll this is a, a bit of a stretch now, but e- even if 
I don't know, 80 people listen to it, right? This is the mental equivalent of going for that walk around the block. If that's all you can do, that's fine. Do it. Do it every do it every day. Do it once a week. But it builds a muscle within you. It builds a, a way of thinking within you. It builds a, a way of your brain working. It, I'm very grateful to have, you know, income from this because mm-hmm. um, it pays its own way now, which is nice. Uh, but I'd, I reckon I'd still do it. Because it keeps the blade sharp. Uh, I improve as an interviewer. I I found my writing is so much better because I have these conversations with people, and I just adore like just Mm -hmm. the 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 bout of conversation. I I just I feel healthier mentally for doing it. Yeah, hundred percent. And on top of that. Our sense of perception is so warped. Like you're, you said, like even if only 80 people are listening to it, and I was imagining like IRL, like if you got together and and had a conversation and 80 people showed up in person to listen to you do it, like that's, that, wow, like 80 right. people took time out of their day to listen to me do a thing with other people. Like that's unbelievable. Uh, and And now it's like, well, only, you know, hundred. I only got 100,000 views on this Fuck video. I, it's like, I mean, it's, a, it's like that's the size of a large football stadium. Yeah. You know, it's like, colossal. It's, yeah. it's crazy, right? Yeah, so yeah. we need to like really check ourselves yeah, a little yeah. bit in the content oh, creation mate, I did, space. I did a whole episode about, like, we did this one show on a Friday and we sold it out in a, uh, I think it was a 115 seater. Uh, we sold it out. Mm. I'm like, fuck yeah, it's amazing. The next week, I think eight people bought tickets. Uh, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> I want to kick in the dick. Like it was like I had let my ego go and I mm. did that. No, I didn't. It, you know, it was, and I did a whole show about it. And yeah. it's been really interesting doing this live show. I've been trying to be as open as I can with everyone about because eventually it's going to end up on TV. Like, it just is. Everyone that's right. seen it that works in the industry goes, oh, yeah, this is a TV show. It's a show. And so I'm kind of almost documenting the ups and downs of it all as mm-hmm. we go and really balking it. Am I really going to talk about the fact that, yes, it was a full theater, but for every $20 ticket, I had to spend about 8 bucks on marketing to get them in there? Yeah, I'll talk about that because that's the reality the reality of it and it's it's really interesting it's fuck it's hard but it's it's really really it's 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 fascinating and it's this stuff that we're talking about it's the being okay with it being kind of shit that's for me that's every step you take after 30 kilometers in a marathon that's the thing that gets you where you want to go mm-hmm. it's you know, the, the the holding the you know the runner's medal or holding the you know the t- t-shirt you got for your fun run or whatever that's not it it's the being okay with getting there that's the thing that you take with you for the rest of your life and that's the thing that steals you for whatever other challenges you might have but i think beyond that for me when i look at what you're doing what i see is somebody who's not afraid to try to grow creatively. Like you could just do these TV gigs and and then like do your podcast where you have conversations. It's comfortable. You're very good at it. You're like, you have this skill set that's marketable and you could just focus on the things that you know create predictable income to support your family. And instead you're like, no, I want to do this wacky. I'm going <laughs> to dye my hair blonde and yep. wear crazy glasses and get all these people up on stage yep. and do a semi-improv news weird, th- like you don't have to do that. Yeah. I'm sure it's super fun, but you're like, no, this is where my creative muse is taking me. Yeah, And it's not necessarily a business plan. Maybe it turns into a TV show, maybe it doesn't, 
But what I see is somebody who's doing something for the joy of doing it and the creative kind of exploration of what it would like to, yeah. to do something like that. And I think that that's cool and ballsy Thanks, and fun and, yeah. you know, allows you to stay fresh with um, the way that you show up and express yourself in the world. Like, I, th you yeah. know, it's... It's, uh, I'm like, how does that guy have the time? You know, it's like, all I do is this one podcast and I'm tripping, you know, like, cause I got to do three I interviews have. and you probably do, I don't know. Like, it just seems like to me, I look from the outside looking in, like I'm all up in my head and nervous and like, I got to make this conversation perfect. And, and you're just like ripping off this and that and the other. And like, so kind of with ease, like, like, like gear shifting between, you know, different ways of, of how you kind of apply your craft. Um, and you, you seem to do it with like, in a way that doesn't drain you, but actually like nourishes you. Thanks, man. Uh, if that's the way it looks from the outside, that's yeah. good. I'm just saying that's the perception. <laughs> now I'll tell you like, and, and just, you know, just so I'm transparent about the whole thing. Yeah. We were talking on the car ride over here. Like I just flew to Australia. The reason I'm here is I'm giving a keynote up on the Gold Coast to uh, a group of real estate professionals at this big conference. I just found out like, like cause I, I've been literally like operating day to day, like what's the next fly to swat in front of me? Cause I've been so busy. And and I just kind of getting into the material. Okay, what am I doing? What, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, it's in front of 3000 people. See? And then I, <laughs> like a back. I haven't given a keynote since like before the pandemic. Yeah. And you know, the whole thing is like, get up, inspire these people, motivate them. Um, I woke up this morning, you know, I've got this lower back issue and I could like barely sit up in bed. I don't feel good in my body. I haven't been able to like use my body in the way that makes me feel like me, which means I'm more out of shape than I would like. I feel flabby. I feel frail because uh, I'm trying to solve this issue that's been really pesky. And uh, the juxtaposition, once again, being in this position where there's an external perception of who I am and what I do and how I live. And then there's like my lived reality, mm -hmm. which is very different. And I don't like that. I, 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 I want to live in integrity where there's no dissonance between who I am, you know, externally versus internally, right? And how do I, you know, inspire people and tell that story when I actually don't, like, I, I'm going to go and tell these stories about things that I've done, but like, internally, I'm not feeling like that guy right now. Well, you know? yeah, I'm, like, about to, I'm, gonna about yes. to, I'm about to help you write your keynote, mate. Yeah, okay. uh, and I'll, you know, I'll be more than, I'll be more than, like, I can sit, if we sit down and put it together. But it's, like I said, it's very confronting of my identity is like, oh, this is who you are. You're the guy who does this. And I'm like, not right now. That's not how I feel. And you're about to speak to 3,000 people who've just gone through uh, probably two straight decades of unfucking precedented growth in, in real estate in Australia. Real estate in Australia is pretty weird because we, you can negatively gear investment properties. So the gap between what your renter pays and you as a landlord pay, you can write down. Mm. All right. So people just collect these fucking things like it's actual real life monopoly and mm. it's causing a humongous crisis because people now can't afford to rent and it's really fucked. So these people have been that you were speaking to, these real estate agents have had, they've got themselves into an industry that the hockey stick is only going one direction mm -hmm. the entire time they've worked there. And in the last two years, they have seen for the first time after record breaking profits for decades now, they have seen the market tank for the first time that they, mm. you know, since the nineties, right? You're faced with these guys and girls who have got themselves into 
big mortgages, house payments, car payments, private schools, all this kind of shit. And suddenly- Because there was an expectation that growth would continue forever. in perpetuity. This fucking yeah, ride's yeah. never stopping. Uh-huh. And now 25% of that, like what? Mm. So the skills that they've had, they've never had to use the skills of getting out of bed and looking at their charts and going, oh, fuck. They've never had to do that. And so what you're able to do is go, I've had, you know, three fucking decades of physical unbelievableness, you know, I've, mm-hmm. I've, I've done this, I've done this, I've done that, and I'm faced with this now. And so what have I learned from, you know, day two of Ultraman, like <laughs> knowing yeah. you've got another day to go, what have I learned from that that I use today when I can't tie my own shoelaces, like this morning on Broad Beach mm-hmm. here in the convention center with you? And that, mate is going to get them on their fucking feet at the end of the show because that is you talking to them in the language that they understand, you know, 15, 20% of their bottom line is gone. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I look at, you know, you, you look at any other man your age, you are still going to be fitter than a lot of them. <laughs> you know, that's just who you are. But your baseline of what is fit is and how you can move, and you, you know, your nimbleness yeah. is very, very different to a normal punter. And I reckon that that's a that is a gift that you could give them. Mm, right? That's great advice. Yeah, it's great advice. And it also it's like triggering. It's like because of course I don't want to. You know, it's like that's what like I don't want to be vulnerable in that way. But that is the shit. Like this is like this is this is what you know what my man would say. Real. My yeah, man no, David, my man David would say when I was like, "Oh man, I can't, go, I can't go to meetings down here in Sydney. I don't know if you realize I'm really fucking famous. I'm like, I don't want to put my hand up." And he's like, "Shut the fuck up." Put your hand up. You're going to save someone's life. Okay. <laughs> That's what David would tell you. I take it David's your sponsor out here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't call him my sponsor on this yeah. show. I call him. I call him my mentor. All right. And this is the thing. You know, I mean, y- you and I are on a journey of sobriety. In this journey, this I am not the captain of my ship. I'm oh, my goodness, no, no. There's a guy at the helm called David who. I call and ask and, mm-hmm. you know, asking about, all, you know, questions. Should I turn left? Should I turn right? I don't know what to do here. There's a big storm coming. I normally do this. Oh, or I've just fucking smashed it into some rocks. Okay. Which way are you pointing the wheel? At the rocks. Okay. Do you need to go say sorry to someone? Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> you <Yeah. know? laughs> sorry. Like, you know, the idea of having someone to guide you um, is often beyond a lot of men particularly because we want to be the guy that fucking right. guy, fucking man, blah, 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 blah. How did you come to the idea of having, you know, you've been a competitive swimmer in your youth, so mm. a coach was always a part of it. What, what about when it came to my choices about, you know, how I live my life? Were you more reluctant to kind of let that stuff go? Of course. You know, you're expected to have that figured out. It's yeah. so fucking insane because as an athlete, my whole life I had a coach. That coach would tell me what to do. I would do it. I would have success. Or if I had failure, I had somebody to talk to to figure out why I failed and figure out a better path forward. And then you're just kind of out in the world. It's just, and you have nobody to like, and you're supposed to, and you're like 18, and you're Good 20 luck, or something like that. Yeah. yeah. I remember like, and here's the other, like, I remember, like, I actually enjoyed law school. Like, I, I enjoy being in a structured environment where it's like, here's what you're doing, you yeah. know? And I, I found, even though I was out of my mind drinking and, like, whatever, like, still, like, you know, I, I kind of enjoyed the academic challenge, the intellectual challenge of that. And then I'm in a law firm, and I have no idea how to be a lawyer. Yeah. Like, there was nothing about law school that taught me how you're supposed to actually function in a professional <laughs> environment. I was like, I have a, I have a, a secretary. Like, how are you supposed, what am I, what am I supposed to tell that person to, how, to do? Like, I'm, I don't know. You're like, I don't need your help. Like, I guess, like, wait, 
there's word processing and like copy machines and like motion practice and and there's nobody to say like here's how this works like let me show you how to like be effective in yeah, this right. environment and here's what you're actually doing and i just floundered you know and and i think that's a common thing but you don't you don't like raise your hand and say hey can somebody come and tell me what to do or mentor me because or whatever. the cutthroat yeah, like, nature of it is like right. he can't handle himself. Yeah, you have yeah, to yeah. you you can't you can't like show that you don't know what's happening. Yeah. So we have coaches in sports and we all understand the value proposition of that. It would be insane not to have a coach. Um, why don't we have coaches in life? Why don't we have coaches within our respective careers? And why is the onus on the young person to like seek out some mentor who's supposed to then give you know, freely of themselves, like that, that's a lot of pressure to put on a young person, especially in an environment where professionally, at least, you're taught from a very early age that to show any kind of weakness or vulnerability or to say, I don't know, is a, is a sign of weakness that will, that will, that will count against you, right? Like, well, let me, let me ask and, you a and question. how long, how many years do we play that out? And, yeah. you know, like, and, and, and men, you know, the way that men interact with each other socially, mm-hmm. you know, friendships, uh, you know, aren't necessarily you know, intimate in that way. It's about drinking buddies and watching sports and having a good time or whatever. Um, women, I think, are inherently wired, uh, you know, for for um, more intimate connection with their friends than than men are for whatever reason, genetically and socially. But it's a problem, and I think there's a lot of men that suffer, you know, silently. And both you and I had the good fortune to hit the wall. The elevator crashed all the way to the bottom and gave us no choice because we got so disassembled and deconstructed and demolished that we I, had I to. I wish mine yeah. back up a yeah. few times and we kind of like kept right. crushing until there was not a lot left inside but the elevator there's car. A gi- there's a gift when it all get when the rug gets completely pulled out from underneath yeah, you and you yeah. have no choice and 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 your ego is so demolished that you have to ask for help. Yeah. And not only do you have to ask for it, you have to receive it and you have to receive it with humility and then you have to act on it. And there's there's a lot of you know, value and wisdom in that. But the truth is like, you don't have to crash your car or let that elevator go all the way to the bottom. You can raise your hand at any time and ask for help. It's just fucking harder. You know, it's harder when you're not in pain to bring other people, let other people into your life and share with them your secrets and your vulnerabilities that we hold so tight. Because if anybody knew, then, you know, my life would end, you know, like uh, the shame that, that keeps men locked down is of epidemic proportions. You know, we all know guys, you go to a cocktail party or at a dinner party and you meet these dudes and you're like, how you doing? Oh, great, man. You know, like they're just, the mask is so powerful. Julie calls them super dupers. How are you doing? Like super, you know? <laughs> That's like, a great name. Super dupers. You I know? love it. And you're like, oh yeah. You can just tell, you're like, oh, there's a lot going on with that person. Yeah. And they're just, they got it locked down so hard. And I have a lot of compassion for that. You know, I know what it's like to navigate the world that way. And that's the way that, you know, society is structured. And I think what's so powerful about what you're doing and the the kind of um, truth and honesty uh, that you bring around, you know, the mental health conversation is really important um, because you're giving other men permission to look inward and confront their own shame and their own, you know, kind of private demons. And 
I'm sure there's no shortage of men who, as a result, have then raised their hands and, and gotten help they've needed. Well, it is it is in that. If I, you speak about getting taught, you know, if I had, I went to an all boys school, which was the, uh, the, too. the sons of the landed gentry and their, locked, their doctors and lawyers. My parents were the, uh, uh, the, the doctor part. And there was none of that. There was none of that. And if someone had just said, you know, I mean, the analogy would be if you're lost and you're trying to get from here to there and you don't know, it's pre-GPS, right? If you don't know where you're going, is it smart to just keep fucking driving? Or particularly if you're running late, it's really important that you want and you really want to get there. It's a smart thing to do to pull over and ask ask someone. Um, You could just keep fucking driving, run out of gas and, you know, then miss all the opportunities. Or you could pull over and say, hey, do you know how to get to there? They go, yeah, it's that way. I'll jump in and drive you. Oh, my friends on the way. Like, mm. oh, fuck, of course the idea is to ask someone, mm-hmm. all right? But Jesus Christ, man, the, my life, my career, when I started realizing that uh, the the limits of my ideas or the, you know, familiar parlance would be my own best thinking, but the limits of my own ideas, my own tools, once I started realizing, oh, this is as far as I can go with all the best that I can do, I'll just ask someone who knows how to get from here to there. Mm-hmm. And that- Wait, you could do that? That's the thing. <laughs> it ex- things just exploded uh-huh. from there. Like this idea that I have to be able to do everything to completion by myself perfectly, that is complete malarkey. Mm-hmm. You know, the idea of like, I don't know how to, I don't know what I'm doing. So I ask someone to, you know, what days should I lift what weights in what order? Okay. That's the guy. He wrote the Ask thing. That guy. And I do that. <laughs> yeah. And it's great. You know, uh-huh. I don't know what to do. He does. I just do what he tells me. Guess what happens? What he told me would happen. Mm-hmm. That's what fucking happens. It's the same with eating. It's the same with, and certainly the same with my doctors. Now, I didn't want to hear him. I didn't want to fucking hear him when they were telling me all these diagnoses. I didn't want to be the guy that had that. And I had I'd, I had to get literally kicking and screaming. I had to get dragged over the line and, and just, you know, find humility before mm-hmm. it finds you. Or it fucking found me in a, in a ball of, you know, passive and active suicidal ideation hiding around a fucking hotel bed before I realized, Jesus, I am probably going to have to take these meds because I can't do this by myself. And guess what happened when I took the meds? Things started <laughs> getting better because mm-hmm. uh, I was really fucking sick. I was really, really sick. But I didn't want to, ac- I didn't want to accept it. And even, even worse, Rich, he says, ah, oh, here's this antipsychotic. Take it only when you need it. And I'm like, brilliant. If mm-hmm. I don't take it, I don't need it. Mm-hmm. I'm not sick. I was fucking so sick, mm. but I just had to. I just had to be in acceptance that my my ideas weren't going to do it. Like you can't use a brain that's sick to think your way out of the problems caused by a brain that's sick. Right. The it, the the brain that created the problem can't be relied upon to solve no. that problem. And understanding that you is, have to ex, you need an external brain is really yeah. really hard. And I was so lucky because and it all happened in order, Rich. It all you know it was the. I got diagnosed with PTSD and then, you know, years later I got got sober and I kind of learned all these ways of not necessarily questioning reality but understanding that feelings aren't facts and understanding just because my body feels this horror or this mm-hmm. shame or this rage doesn't mean that there's a valid reason for that. You never, ever knew that that was a possibility mm-hmm. and that's, that in itself changed my life. But it, it all kind of happened in order and then uh, I learned how to meditate. Mum took, I remember mum t- taking us to this, the only place you could learn meditation in Brisbane was like a Krishna place. So she taught us, you know, we went to this weird Krishna joint and um, 
weird because it smelled funny at the time. I didn't know what it was. It was chickpeas cooking. Yeah. And now I love that smell. Just the Harry Krishna like yeah, 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 ashram yeah. where they have the open kitchen and Something like, like the one. Did you? They, there's the it's one in, in LA that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was up in yeah, Brisbane. Yeah, uh -huh. I remember us kids were just sat there mm -hmm. and stared at a red light on the wall. And I remember it being really interesting. I was about six or seven, I think. Mm -hmm. um, but I learned to meditate more as an adult. I, I didn't was, know that you were exposed to that at such a young age. Mum was real into it. Yeah. Mum was really into yoga. She was. In, my dad was really into meditation. My dad ran a whole. Uh, as a rheumatologist, he he was l starting a study uh, on um, meditation and relaxation and uh, chronic pain management in mm. 1980, 1979. But we then moved up to Brisbane and I think he was going to do a PhD or something like that. We had all these cassette tapes of him doing relaxations. So he was, my parents were really into that kind right. of, and this is 50 years, nearly 50 years right. ago. It's all very science-based kind of shit. They were very sciencey people, but it was only in meditation in the observance of my own thought that I realized, oh, wow, I'm, I'm actually nuts. Oh, oh, that's interesting. And I called my man, David, and he says, you're lucky, pal. And I've been told, so some people don't like this word, but I'm going to use it anyway. He said, you're lucky because crazy people don't know they're crazy. <laughs> you're lucky because if you've never been taught or never realized that your own thoughts or your own assessment of the situation might not actually be what it is, particularly if you're really stressed and anxiety or depression is playing a part, you may not realize that you are reacting to a distorted version of what's actually happening mm. and your actions and thoughts and whatever don't match the situation and are probably going to make it way, way worse. Um, but I never got taught that. <laughs> mm. <laughs> That's powerful. It's yeah. true though, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the thing we try to teach Wolf, you know. He's an amazing kid and people ask me all the time, what would you teach? You know, what would you say? Because, they, you know, they come after you speak, you know, people come up and talk to you mm -hmm. and they go, oh, yeah, my dad's fucking, oh, yeah, my mum, oh, I'm fucking, you know. You know they yeah. kind of whisper because yeah, yeah. they've got the shame of, you know, they hear yeah. you talking about alcohol. I certainly, I did it yesterday, uh, talk about alcohol and stuff like that and people come up to me after going, yeah, I really need to do that. Mm. Thanks, man. Is that good? Good, mm -hmm. good. Mm -hmm. um, they always ask about the kids. I say, just teach them down regulation. Just teach them how to, if I knew that, if, that, if I knew that one skill, it would have changed so much in my life. It would have changed those understanding when my body was flooded and that whatever I say I'll do next is probably just going to make this way worse. If I knew to take it just a breath, you know, mm -hmm. life would have been very different. Mm. And we teach that to Wolfie now. We call them snake breaths. Oh, yeah. <sighs> right. And he's also got this. He's upstairs. He's got this like kind of articulated ball that looks like it belongs on the space station. You know those things they pack up real tight and you pull one in and it just goes, whoop, becomes mm -hmm. this gigantic globe. Yeah, yeah. And he calls it his breathing ball. Sorry, breathing. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Nice, man. Yeah, he's, it's super cool. I mean, there's nothing. He's just a kid being a kid. Right. But when he get, you know, when toddlers, they've got no impulse control. Mm -hmm. So their brain, that's the other wild thing. He's got no impulse control. So his brain is so undeveloped and watching just this kind of raw toddler flail around the room going, ah, add tequila and, you know, stimulants. <laughs> and that's me. Yeah. <laughs> In my 30s. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's the same thing. Yeah. You know? And then having to learn that as an adult, it's reflecting a lot, uh, reflecting a lot on me. I think about you a lot, you know, as, as a parent, certainly, as you became a step-parent before you became a, a natal parent. So when I met Julie, they were like three and four. Yeah. And Julie was coming out of, of that marriage. And so they've been in my 
life, you know, the, almost their entire lives and, yeah. and, you know, have lived with us even through the early years, like more than they were with his dad, although their dad, you know, was very, was a very strong presence in their life and, and, and a really cool guy. And now that he's gone, it was, it was really painful when he died. Um, yeah. So that was like, I think it was seven years ago. And so, you know, my role kind of uh, changed when that occurred, but they yeah. were already kind of old enough where it wasn't, it was really just, just, you know, more, more, more support at that time. Yeah. Um, but they're amazing kids, you know, and it's yeah. just like, and, and what, what's been great. So they're like 28 and 26 now. Jesus like they're, Christ. They're they were teenagers yeah. when I met them. God, yeah. I'm so old. Uh, but <laughs> before the pandemic, they had moved out. They were living in Echo Park and they're pursuing their music career. That's right. And then when lockdown, tweed, when lockdown happened, and <laughs> when lockdown happened, they moved back which was fucking awesome. Yeah. And they're still at home. And it's been such like, you know, the pandemic, all of that, the worst. But the silver lining in our family was that it brought them back home. And our relationship is, is you know, been so much closer as a result. Yeah. And also it's been such a benefit for my other two kids to have them around. They're amazing guys. And, and Tyler actually does a lot of work for me now. Trapper cool. does too a little bit, but like Tyler is super into um, doing all kinds of stuff at our podcast studio. And it's been great to like have him around. He's so smart. And he's yeah. like, he's like, you should do this and you should do that. And I was like, yeah, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> I was like, you sure you want to do this music thing? Because I could literally, you know, have you, uh, you know, be here full time. Yeah, wow. So. You, so you, you came to parenting with, you know, already fully formed, you know, small children without having that kind of, and I've seen it now with Wolf, you get a couple of months of grace, you know, learning to how to do yeah, it, yeah, you yeah, kind yeah, of fuck yeah. it up when their babies are like, ah, sorry, I don't have any idea how to do this part or that part of it. But by the time they're three or four, like that's like everything I say and do is going into a permanent record that will be replayed back for the rest of their life. I really got to be careful. Yeah. Well, well, to Julie's credit though, you know, in the early years of our relationship, like the, my exposure to them was very gradual yeah. and very mindful Yeah. because we didn't know if we were going to be together. And, yeah. and so it took a long time before like my life, my life integrated with those boys so we tried to do that as responsibly as possible, yeah. also out of out of respect to um, their father. So yeah. I did have a ramp up, like a gradual kind of slow exposure to them yeah. that you know that that made it um, a little bit easier. We went and also, I didn't have to I didn't have to slot in and be dad because nah, I had yeah. a dad. So yeah, I was kind of like you. cool uncle for a while. Yeah, and then that the role kind of grew from there. But yeah. Um, but yeah, it is you know the hybrid family thing like. Listen, you know, I met Julie when I had a year of sobriety. <laughs> She's really the only relationship I've had in sobriety. Yeah. Uh, and that first year of sobriety, I was I was celibate. Like it was strongly suggested that uh, hey, you probably shouldn't date because like you're like women is a big trigger for you. Like this is very tied into like you're drinking and you're using. And that year was really revelatory of like, okay, I'm not putting that energy out. I'm not doing that. And I learned a lot about myself. And then when I kind of came out of that year feeling whole, I met Julie. I looked up from and the I downward thought, dog and I there thought, she was. <laughs> I, you know, I was coming out of a marriage disaster and, yeah. and I thought like, well, my next relationship 
it's going to be, you know, a, a woman who's younger than me, who, you know, no drama. Like, I just want like a nice person, you know, like easy, you know. And then I meet Julie coming out of a, a divorce, two, two young children older than me. And, you know, it just didn't make any sense on paper. But, you know, the Dude, heart, the heart wants a, what the heart wants. And man, she's a, it was like, you know, she's her, but, she's a, 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 a a beaming sunshine all to herself. She has yeah. uncommon energy uh, about her. That that's very true. It, yeah, but when we, Audrey and I were the same, Audrey was very very careful around mm -hmm. G. And when it came time for us all to move in together, we went and saw a psychologist down at the children's hospital. Right. Here. They even have like it's a free clinic, Australian mm. free medic, free healthcare, man, and gun control. Maybe you want to go back wow. to your friends over there and talk about it. Listen, it's I've fucking made, something. I've made no, you know, <laughs> secret of my love for you know Australia. Like I'm, I'm basically here all the time. But it's uh, <laughs> so we went down there and and. It was, you know, I don't know what I, I don't, I don't know shit about, you know, being the mum's boyfriend, then fiance, then right. husband, moving into a relationship where the child is 10, then 11, and then coming into, you know, being a teenager mm -hmm. as puberty hits right at this really crucial point um, of all us cohabitating. I don't know anything about that or how to do the right thing. So we went and, we went and talked to this person, like, did I get it right? No. Did I, did I make mistakes? Absolutely. Do, do I still make mistakes? Yes. It has been revealed to me that that is a part of being a parent. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you yeah. do get it wrong uh, as much as you wish you were perfect. And, you know, I, I know, like, there's, there'll be a part when I'm, you know, 10 years, 20 years from now when I, you know, it's, it's going to be, that's fine. That's all a part of it. That's a part of it, man. Of course. Listen, you do the best that you can with what you have, right? <laughs> and no matter what you do, the story, you know, that they're going to tell themselves about yeah. who you are and how you were lacking and, you know, whatever pain they're, you know, it's like, okay, that's just, that's what it's going to be, dude. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, it's funny. Yeah. Because, you know, with kids that are older now and being able to see when they say, well, why didn't this, why did this happen? He's like, come on, man. I like, I tried, you know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I did. Um, it's a moment, isn't it? I remember, I think I was about like 18 or Night. And I was probably, I'm lucky that I've got, I'm two of four boys, so we mm -hmm. can talk about, you know, and, you know, you talk about perception of a, of a situation, you know, you can kind of bounce it around a couple of ideas and, and then basically come down to a synthesis of, oh, maybe like get the actual yeah. vibe of what actually went down on that mm -hmm. day versus just my perspective. And then you kind of realize, oh, they were just doing the best they could with yeah. what they had at the time. Oh, okay. My parents were so young and I've held on to so many resentments about this and that. And then I'm like, Dude, what were you doing when you were 26, 20? You know, like I'm trying to imagine, you know, it, it allows me to have so much more compassion yeah, for yeah. them. And th and that's a, it's, it's hard. You gotta, mm -hmm. I think you gotta be adult by the time you get to that. It's hard to do when you're a teenager. Of course. That, because it's, yeah, it's far out, man. You spoke about the trying to do 50,000 50, things at once, but. And then you go, you go on Instagram and you yeah. like, I don't know what your experience is, but like, there's a whole like, super dad core thing Fuck of them. like dads being super dads and like you know how like oh you know mental health and instagram like that's the thing that that makes me feel like shit when i see dads yeah. like doing something amazing with their yeah. kids and and then i think oh, man i really you know like i've i'm i fucked up Mate. you know and i'm like i can't look at this no stuff, I, I, you know? I try to keep away from it like it's i do i fail uh my the addiction's so fucking terrible mate I'm like at one point I had Audrey have my screen time passcode like I'm a 10-year-old boy 
and I still found ways around it. Yeah, I know. I think there's been a couple times where I like DM'd you on Instagram and there's an auto reply saying, you don't see this. That's been really helpful. That's been really helpful. Because then if you know me and you want to speak to me, you text me. Oh, yeah, email me, which is which is good. Part of the thing around when Georgia came into my life, and, and this really helped in the kind of sobriety stakes, it there was this one day where suddenly it was no longer about me. Suddenly it was just everything has to be about making sure this kid gets every chance at life that mm-hmm. she wants. And that unleashed this whole kind of fire within me to just create and make and and build and be as good as I can be at every point. And now Wolfie's here as well. It's the kind of decisions I made when I was drinking and using extended to financial decisions, Rich. So I kind of came out of that with some yeah. of a, uh, well, somewhat of an empty addiction, water tank. Ad- addiction <laughs> tends to, you know, create some 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 pretty, you know, uh, tricky financial predicaments, <laughs> debt, and like, you know, like- How many hundred thousand dollars? What's the return? Brilliant, yeah. I'm in. Taxes, you know- <laughs> Credit cards. Oh, my God. Investment opportunities. My, my, my credit was so destroyed that I just had made pe- – like, I never thought I would ever have two nickels to rub together. Wow. I was convinced that I was incapable of being financially stable and that uh, I would never be able to even, like, lease a car or do yeah. anything. You know, So, the fact that I've crawled out of that, like, I, I thought even, even in, with all this success, I was like, I'll never repair my credit. It's just wow. because of my drinking and using and my irresponsibility. It was like it was just beyond anything that could ever be fixed. Yeah, I, and I it's a, fixed. Like I, I'm like I have no fucking idea. That's amazing. It, you know, I, I have a I have quite a problem with that whole American credit score thing. It happens to you yeah. too now because it's just it's very weird. It's like this almost a black mirror, almost right. level of social judgment that is just yeah it's quite shit and quite controlling and uh, it's up there with university debt but look that's a whole other conversation it's a different thing for a whole 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 other time just a moment away from rich to say that if you need me at all send us your email at gmail.com is where you can find me i do really love to see where you're listening thank you to the people that have been sending a picture of what they're looking at as they're listening uh thanks to flick who sent me a fantastic uh photo uh, on the treadmill at a very early hour of the day. Sandra as well reached out and got in touch. Thanks heaps for that. I'm stoked to, to read your feedback and it's really, really nice. So I do very much love to hear from you. Send us your email at gmail.com. We'll be back with more from Rich Roll in just a moment. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I started this podcast because. When I was in 
the worst of it. I did not know what else it could look like. I, I didn't know what sobriety could could look like until I heard other people who had been where I was and were now somewhere where I wanted to be tell me, oh, no, this is it. it. I'm here. I'm married again. You know, finances are okay. Got two kids. It's life's – stick at it, mate. Stick mm-hmm. at it. I didn't know that could exist. It may as well have been a fucking fairy story. But it was only in hearing those stories and hearing those conversations that I started to believe, well, maybe there might be some – they can't be making this up. Maybe they might – because I knew everything, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I started this podcast because I wasn't hearing those kind of conversations on a wider, kind of wider front, you know, like not just about sobriety, not just about mental health, but about climate, about, you know, parenting, about, you know, you can't be what you can't see. I wasn't hearing possibility described or, or spoken of. So I started this show and thankfully it's become a lot more normalized now, but I have done this show for, fuck, nearly over 10 years now, mm-hmm. and I knew you before I started it. So, A, I'm sorry it took me so long to get you on. <laughs> but have B, I never, is this really, is this the only time the first, I've done your thing? Yeah. I could have sworn we'd done it. I was on yours. You've been on mine twice. A couple times, yeah. 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 Um, I'm sorry it took me 10 years. Oh, sorry. But, mate, I'm fucking glad I waited. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, man. Um, I, I literally would not be here without you. You've got to understand. I don't know that. about that, but I, 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 do. I uh, take it, mate. Take okay. it. Um, when I, when you came and picked me up this morning, it was like, so nice to see you, man. <laughs> like, even though we don't see each other that often, I feel very connected to you. Um, and I was reflecting on the history of our relationship, like when we first met and the ripple effect of that. Like, yeah. even though, like, since you left Los Angeles, I've only seen you a couple times. Like, I stay connected. I follow everything on social media, but and we stay in touch. But um, it's been a couple of years since I've seen you. But, you know, meeting you in L.A., spending that time, you're the one who introduced us to Mel Nahas, who's like a central figure in our life. She's like, amazing. she's one of Julie's closest friends and collaborative partners. She produced our retreat. I was just with her in, Italy. like, that doesn't happen yeah. without you. And, yeah. like, she plays a huge role in our life. And yeah. the ripple effect of that is, like, yeah. profound. And that that ripple tracks back to another mutual friend of ours that, you know, is very important in my life. I, I'm not going to name him, but that's the way that, sobriety works right like yeah. it's kind of a magical amazing mystical sort yeah. of thing and it, it doesn't but it doesn't need to be it, you don't have to get sober to do it mm-hmm. i mean it helps it helps me because it, you realize what's at stake i think once you get sober you get yeah. sober once you realize oh fuck i nearly lost everything okay all right yeah. i'm gonna might go about things a little differently but yeah it's just it's just say i say yes to probably too much stuff but i also understand that just giving as much as I can for others when I can, will always ultimately make my day better. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not this day, <laughs> but it will. <laughs> but it will. Yeah. But it will. It'll always, always show up again. And it's much better than running around being a fuckwit, being an asshole and saying no and, and shouting at people mm-hmm. and trying to, no, I want it all. There's all, all the podcasts. I want all, give me this podcast, that yeah. podcast. I want it all. And that TV show is all fucking fuck you. Like, I've done that. Not a good time. <laughs> Living life from a place of scarcity or jealousy was shit. Yeah. Well, I would say that you have built an admirable life for yourself, my friend. <laughs> you know, like you have 
a really healthy marriage and relationship, the the mindfulness and intentionality that you bring to your parenting, to the content that you create, like it's inspiring, man. And I, cause I've, I've known you for a long time and I didn't meet you before you got sober, but I've seen some valleys in your mental health journey that were terrifying. Yeah. And, 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 and I was really scared about whether you would, you were going to be able to like come out the other side of yeah, that. Yeah. So you were there, like you were there, like that was that, I saw you like two days before or the day before when I went proper fucking crazy. Mm -hmm. I was right on the edge of, I was just starting to see glitches at the end of my vision. I remember being in your garage doing that podcast that day, just starting to see like things pop in to that. Like, was that the same day that then we did the, like we had, like Mel came over and we did like the tea no, ceremony? No, 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 that was years later. That was later, that was right? Later, yeah, but yeah. that was that was a moment where I saw like a break in the fabric of your reality. That oh, really, yeah. Really scared me. Like we were just having tea and you were convinced that it was, there was something mind altering in the tea. Yep. And, and you started to have a panic attack it about that. It was terrible. That. And uh, and it was I I wasn't sure what to do. I drove home. You started to you started to freak out. Yeah, I drove home at oh fuck I reckon an Australian. I well actually let's be honest the distance measurement the rest of the world except for America uses. I think I drove. I must have driven home at like twenty five kilometers an hour, thirty kilometers an hour from your place. You said just go that way till you get to PCH and turn left. You thought but, that yeah. we had like dosed you. I felt like it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it was as real as anything. It was absolutely super fucking real. Mm. It was terrifying. It was so so scary. It was not a fun time. Um, but that's you know that's that's what brains are, man. Brains are. Why, you know, when, when brains break, you know, when we detach or when our ability to process reality gets altered, unless you know what's going on, you have no reason to believe it's happening. And mm -hmm. so, therefore, that is the reality that's happening and I'm reacting appropriately. Right. And anyone that tells me otherwise, you're fucking it on account. Fuck off. You know, it's really scary. It's so, so, so scary. Um, but look, not that night, but there's been other nights when I have absolutely ingested mind-altering substances uh -huh. at people's houses and absolutely fucking gone off the edge and experienced, you know, marijuana psychosis or something else. I've absolutely experienced that. Uh, so uh, it wasn't my first time lying on someone else's living room floor. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. You were so convincing, though, that yeah, I yeah. thought, is there something in this? Like, <laughs> I was like, no, this is just tea. That's part of my job, mate. Mm -hmm. I'm, very, I'm very good. Yeah. I'm very emotive when I speak. <laughs> It's a trap. Um, yeah, it was really scary. And that's, uh, uh, but that's, that's brains. Brains are scary things. Mm -hmm. And understanding that they can really, not only can they go really wrong, but also that they, that there's treatment available and you can get healthy and you can be healthy. And it might not be what you thought it was going to be, but the life that I get to live because of the work that I do to stay healthy is amazing. This is the life you're talking about. It is a life of structure. It's a life of um, making sure I try to stay as fit as I can. It's a life of staying in touch with my doctors. It's a life of taking my meds. It's a life of, you know, deliberately doing things that other people would go, oh, no, those things will just happen. They don't just happen if I don't write them down and I don't tick them off a list. Mm -hmm. And because I do that, the output that I have from a work standpoint is prolific sometimes and the quality of the moments that I share um, with my family I'd like to think are extraordinarily present 
because I make a note of it. Put your fucking phone down. Look people in the eye. I have to write that down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know. Other people do it automatically. I don't. That's okay. I put a reminder to myself. Put your phone down. And then I have these, I'm very lucky to have these, you know, this it's it, it, it's a very deliberate way of getting through the day. I don't, because if I just let it just go by itself, it doesn't end in a good spot, essentially. And um, I have the life I have because of the brain I've got. You know, this is the product of obsessing compulsive disorder and ADHD and PTSD and whatever the fuck else. I'm collecting a whole bunch of disorders. Mm-hmm. Um, this This is what it can, this is it. And I'm grateful for it. Uh, there's parts of it that are shit, but there's parts of it that means that I can do things that other people can't. And um, what did your mate say? Uh, uh, don't be the best, be the only. <laughs> oh, right. Uh, oh, Kevin Kelly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That was great. Fuck, that was good. That was a really I mean, you are, you're, you're definitely the only yeah. in the thing that you're doing. You know, that's for sure. There's no, you, you, you can't be replaced. There is one Osher energy and you are it. Well. Um, but I think, like, listen, I have so much respect for um, what you have, like how you've comported yourself through your mental health journey, how you took responsibility for it. Um, and and really did the work, and then uh, felt this responsibility to share it transparently and vulnerability in, in in a vulnerable way because that's really what is the point of what you've endured if you can't share what you experienced to benefit other people and and hopefully like shortcut whatever situation they're in so they didn't have to experience yeah. the pain that you experienced and. You know, these things live on a spectrum and what you endured was very extreme, right? And not everybody is going to have, you know, such an extreme experience, but we all have mental health shit that we're going through, right? All of us. Yeah. Uh, And so I think for anybody who's listening or watching, you know, maybe do that inventory and try to figure (laughs) out like why you keep doing that bullshit thing that you keep doing (laughs) that gets you in trouble, whatever it is. And it might be minor. It might just be, why am I always scrolling on my phone? Or why do I always end up in the same kind of relationship that ends in this very same way and realize there's a reason for that. And the answer uh, and the solution will be found through looking inward, raising your hand, asking for help, finding somebody you can trust to talk with um, and and to kind of flex that muscle of being open and vulnerable with someone because mm-hmm. that shame that's keeping it in a dark corner of your soul thrives in isolation and um, and privacy and you know that shame can't survive the light and as scary as it is to kind of relate that thing that you would prefer to keep hidden with another human being. Um, that is the path to becoming whole and, you know, being on a more authentic journey for yourself uh, that will unburden you of the psychic drain that you're carrying yeah. and may only be semi-conscious of. Yeah. Um, but there's a whole other side, you know, waiting for you yeah. and a more meaningful kind of purposeful direction for you if you're willing to kind of, you know, shoulder it. And if it's yeah. fucking hard, man. Yeah. Like, and it sucks. Oh, look, it's not it's like terrible. it's not. <laughs> like, I don't. Yeah. It's not like it's not. Yeah. Uh, we, could, uh, we could do a whole fucking, we could do two straight hours in what you just described is all well and good. And you mentioned it earlier. We could do two straight hours on on being in action, you know, because that's, that's it. Uh, but, you know, 
what you just described, that's well, you're gonna you're gonna come and do my podcast tomorrow. <laughs> we'll just we'll we'll we we'll, dig into we'll, that we'll if you dig, like. We'll dig yeah, a little yeah. bit more into that. Yeah. Mate, you're fucking amazing. I'm so, so happy I got you on, uh, mate. I love you, buddy. <laughs> happy to be here. And that was Rich Roll. Rich Roll is everywhere you think Rich Roll is. Just R O C H R O L L. Type that in the search bar of whatever you're doing, and you'll find something about Rich. Get around his podcast. Get around his YouTube channel. It's absolutely golden. It is a, a chalice of knowledge that I, I, I slurp from daily. It's, he's a great human being. Get around his book, Finding Ultra. It's a cracking read, and he's got some great humor. Rich, Rich and Julie have written some fantastic cookbooks as well. Uh, it's really super stuff. Thank you so much for watching. Thanks for listening. This episode will be on YouTube by the time you go there. It'll be a couple of weeks away, but then it'll get up there. Uh, but thank you so much for listening. If this episode has helped you out in any way, please do share it with someone, rate it, review it, say something to somebody about it. That really helps us because people come and go from the subscriber list all the time. Big thanks to Andy Ma, the great and powerful on audio and video post-production. He worked hard for the money today. Woo. Big thanks to Mike Mills, who made all music, Rachel Barrett, my executive producer. Um, sorry, just getting a visit here. Uh, thanks very much to Rich Roll for getting on the show. Come here, buddy. Come here and we're going to say goodbye. Come on. Can you say goodbye, everybody? All right. There you go. See you Wednesday. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.